You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is James Davis. He's a wonderful actor that I've admired for a very long time. He was a few years ahead of me in the drama program at Juilliard, and I've always loved his energy as a person and his beautiful, thoughtful work on stage. So I'm very excited that we got to sit down and have this conversation. I usually call him Jimmy in life, but he officially goes by James Davis as an actor. I've seen a few shows recently that I just wanted to recommend before we get to the interview. I saw Everybody by Brandon Jacob Jenkins at Signature. Brandon is a playwright who I find so exciting and challenging and surprising, and this play has all of those elements in it. It also features Chris Perfetti, who was a guest on episode 48, but the whole cast is doing amazing work. It's really an ensemble show, and it gave me a lot to think about, so please go see it. And then this week, I went to see my friend Damon Dono in Beardo, which has music by Dave Malloy, who uh, is the genius behind Natasha Pierre on Broadway right now. And it takes place in a church in Greenpoint. Pipeline Theater produces it, and it's about the story of Rasputin, because I can't get away from Russian stories right now. And it's inventive and fun, and the singers are all amazing, and um, it's really cool. So if you get a chance to see that, I would highly recommend it as well. And hopefully Damon's going to come on the podcast soon, so I'll get to talk to him about that show, because it was really cool. All right. I hope you enjoy the 65th episode of The Compass. So what do you do to try to keep from going to the dark side as an artist? Well, recently I was thinking about this question because I figured it'd come up. Yeah. Um, I've been really into watching comedic sitcoms in the morning. I am so late to the game with Parks and Recreation. So good. I didn't watch it when it's so good. And I didn't watch it when it was, I guess, airing on prime time television or whatever and I just bought like my first tv ever and it's in my new Astoria apartment and I have like the Netflix and the HBO go and all that stuff and every morning I watch two or three episodes of Parks and Recreation which adds up to be like an hour and I just think those characters are so funny and joyous yeah and I can just go into my day. Like, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about the dark things, but I'm also watching a comedy. So I, I'm laughing in spite of where my brain is, you know, and it starts to <laughs> jolt me in the right direction. Well, that particular show, too, everybody is so well-intentioned. Mm. Mm-hmm. Leslie Nope. And even though we're, like, in an extremely political environment right now, they're, they're just trying to get some good local things done yeah and they're not really earnestly yeah and they're not ashamed of their mistakes you know like they just try to recover really fast i was listening to a podcast actually with lisa kudrow uh talking about her character valerie cherish on the comeback Mm -hmm. and she says part of the comedy is just watching this woman make a series of mistakes but they're like recovery process to cover up that mistake as if it was intentional or, you know, trying to ease the situation around a mistake she made is like where the comedy comes from. And it's like all over Parks and Rec too. (laughs) 
So what, what does the dark side usually look like for you? Mm. Uh, it's very lonely. Yeah. It's usually when I'm alone. And it's when my brain just starts to spiral in a downward direction. And it's almost as if all stimulus from the outside world is not penetrating me. You know, it just, it, I, I just live in my head. It's like when I live in my head and I forget to look outwards. Yeah. Mm. That kind of self-isolation. Yeah. Yeah. The brain is just so powerful in that way. Do you have any like other artistic outlets besides acting that you've found over the years for in between jobs? Like when you're, Mm -hmm. um, when you're spending a lot of time alone, have you, are you, I don't know, or do you write or anything like that? No, I don't. And that's been the hardest thing is I, I, look at people who have hobbies that they've come across very effortlessly. And I'm so envious of people who pick up a guitar and just want to play for hours or write or draw or, you know, I'm not like a runner. (laughs) I don't have, I don't have that other thing that, and I can try and I can fake it and I can say, okay, I'm going to try to knit (laughs) <laughs> and then I'm in at scarves. That's going to be my new thing. But I don't really have that one thing that I can rely on. I guess I really enjoy cooking. Really? To, yeah, find a recipe, buy the groceries, make it, eat it, do the dishes. It feels like a a thing with a beginning, middle, and an end. Um, I actually really like doing dishes. I don't know what it is, but it's it's meditative time yeah. for me. Keep your hands busy. Yeah. I love that about baking. Mm. I'm not as good of a cook as Frankie is, but um, yeah, it's just something about having your hands busy. What do you like to bake? And your mind is kind of focused enough to keep out the demons, mm-hmm. but it's relaxing. I mean, anything with pumpkin cookies. Pumpkin. I do. I love, it's stereotypical, but I do love pumpkin things. Do you eat all of your dessert things or do you give them away? Because that could be dangerous. I don't bake as much as I used to, I feel like, because I don't, if it's just me here or just me and Frankie, like trying to eat healthy, we're not going to eat the entire thing. Right. But right now, since I am doing a play, like I'll I'll bake a little more often because I can take things to the cast and they'll nice everybody likes it. yeah but that's terrible because then everybody brings in the sweet things i know we all i'm in a turns. play too and it's like we do cakes and donuts and whatever and i i'm thinking i'm gonna bring in the crudite plate <laughs> it's next. like what's, what's the intermission treat of the day it's yeah. true oh i guess if you eat it at intermission that's good because then you'll crash afterwards <laughs> uh so you just opened a play yeah last night yeah I'm usually actually very dark, but I had a very good night last night. Um, I opened a play called The Mother of Invention at the Abingdon Theater, uh, written by James Lacine. Where is that? The Abingdon Theater is on 36th and 8th. It's in the same building as the Barrow Group. Oh, right, right. Um, and I guess it's been around for a while. I want to say something like 20 years. But Tony Speciali... Um, just came in as artistic director in October. And so there's kind of this new life force trying to uh, um, reinvigorate. Um, And I think this is his first 
larger cast show that he's directed there as artistic director. How many actors are in it? <clears throat> there are um, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Yeah, and it was a really fun opening night. It was a really difficult rehearsal process. Um, like the smallest rehearsal room you could ever imagine. And we're all on stage the whole time. But I think that we all recognize Tony's ambition to make something large with very small resources. Um, and once we got into the theater, we all kind of had our own space or could find our own corner yeah. and started functioning better because we could have alone time. One of those um, rehearsals where you're like, oh, this tape outline on top of this tape outline right. is actually two different rooms. But just imagine there's stairs here. <laughs> right. And also there's no off stage, So... Yeah. When other people are rehearsing, you're kind of putting on like a little other performance because you're being seen yeah. standing in the back watching other actors work on their scenes, you know, and you just try to go into like a neutral sort of blend into the wall. Exactly. Kind of thing. Exactly. Well, congratulations. That's exciting. Thanks. I yeah. want to try to come see it. It's a lot of fun. How long is it running? Uh, we're scheduled right now to run through February 26th. Okay. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. So you're from St. Louis mm -hmm. originally, mm -hmm. but you've been in New York now since going to college at Juilliard. Yeah. Um, I'm 32, and I came here when I was 18. Uh, how are you feeling about it these days? I know you you lived in L.A. for a little bit. I how long tried you L.A. like three or four times for two or three months each. Oh, okay. Um, I couldn't and remember how long you were out there. It just never stuck, and I never really... I like them both. I really do. It was... I kind of picked New York because all my stuff was here, and I was a little bit too lazy to uproot, and... <laughs> I don't know. You, I, I, it's a big decision to. It's a big decision. Permanently move yourself. And I didn't the like launch into stardom or anything when I graduated, and I felt like the connections I do have are in New York, so it would be super courageous and brave and maybe foolish to walk away from those connections um, to a place where I don't have any. Right. Uh, so I. I guess I'm, yeah, that was my educated decision on it, or however you want to say yeah. it. But you feel like you're committed oh, to New York so, right now. Yeah, I am. I am. I, it didn't feel like the place I wanted to be for about six years. And in the last several years, I love it separately from being an actor. And I think... I think, well, where else do I want to be? And I can fantasize about Portland or wherever, but I think I need the city life. I, I like the city. I like the people. I like that it's challenging. Yeah. It's addicting, too. Actually, when I fantasize other places, I think like, oh, Paris, London. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> those are big cities, too. I just... You know. Yeah, just a change of location. Yeah, but I, I, I do like it. I do like it. Is your family still in St. Louis? Mm-hmm. They're all in St. Louis. All. Uh, two brothers and a sister. They all have kids now. They're all married and they all have kids. 
And uh, I do miss, I, I do realize as I'm getting older that I'm missing out on certain things. Like, certain uncle duties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just those times of growth that happen so quickly. You go back and your nephew is four inches taller. And yeah. you think like, wow, I missed all of that. It happens so fast. Mm-hmm. What do they make of you choosing to be an artist with your life? I think they like it. None of them are none of them have artistic ambitions. My parents own their own business. My sister's speech pathologist, my brother is in real estate and my little brother is in uh real estate as well. So I I'm doing something very different and I think they wish I was more famous and I could be on TV. <laughs> so it'd be but, easier for them to explain to yeah, people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then uh, they would have access to seeing your work. I think more that's easily, I think that's what it is. I yeah. think the access would be better. I mean, they would love it if I came to St. Louis and was in a play. They have to come to New York to see the plays, and they always do. They're so supportive. Oh, that's nice. They had so much fun last night at the opening, and they can handle themselves very well in a room of people. <laughs> you know, that's um, great. they so like they it. They all come together. Uh, no, just my parents. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, they. I think they think it's interesting. I think they like having a, a brother that's in New York. Hmm. I think they wish I was there too. But yeah, it's two sides. Yeah, always two sides. What do you? What kinds of things have you put together for like day jobs when you're not working oh my as God. an actor or while you're working as an actor? <laughs> I've had them all. I've had them all. I've. I have spent several years collecting unemployment when I was in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have been a dog walker. I have worked in a restaurant. I have worked as a temp. I've worked as a coat check. I've done all the odd jobs. My last job about killed me. It was in the fall. I took it over from a friend who was leaving the job and said, this job's great. I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to take a great job. What kind of job was it? (laughs) I worked at a catering company, but I wasn't a caterer. I was in charge of the inventory in the basement. And what I did was I packed out the equipment necessary to throw a wedding or a bat mitzvah or a reunion pull it out of the basement through those like that trap in the sidewalk and uh-huh. up the stairs put it in a truck and drive it through manhattan find a parking spot unloading the truck no 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 it was <laughs> it was terrible that sounds like the most stressful anything involving driving in new york city is the most stressful thing car maintenance uh-uh. parking lifting heavy <laughs> things upstairs driving a truck in the city to being responsible for two trucks i was going to a um a warehouse where chefs buy in bulk, you know? So uh-huh. I was carrying like 50 pound bags of sugar and flour and cases of milk. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible. And I, it just became so normal after about three weeks. I thought that I really needed that job, but I really didn't. And I had some kind of weird loyalty towards them. It was. It Is was, it because your friend had worked there before? Like you didn't want to let your friend down? Well, he, there were two people working there before, and then it just became me, one person. And it was the holiday season, so there were a lot of events. And I knew that if I left, they'd be screwed. They would be really screwed. They wouldn't have anybody. And it's a really, it's a job with very idiosyncratic 
need uh, they have very idiosyncratic needs with this job if you know what i'm saying (laughs) but it was terrible and i quit right before the holidays my mom was like you have to quit that job my grandma had like a back surgery and my back was hurting doing the job and so i thought i can't this isn't sustainable and then miraculously over winter break i was offered this play to come back to january 3rd amazing perfect so timing. i shut one door and another one opened that's so cliche but <laughs> that's what that's happened really, that's fantastic yeah yeah it's so it's so hard to piece all that stuff together and i always you know i always have those thoughts about like um it doesn't pay very well either you know yeah. all these little things that are so temp or have little responsibility or you don't have to commit they just tend to pay low yeah well and that's the hard part is that you if you are getting auditions then you're supposed to be so super flexible Mm -hmm. that you're available at the drop of a hat but then how do you build any sort of meaningful income or yeah commit to a place where yeah if you commit they will pay you more and you take on more responsibility and they pay you more but they need you yeah I don't know. know. I'm I'm in the middle of looking for a new day job, so I'm thinking about all this. Um, Let's let's start a company. (laughs) Will somebody please (laughs) hire all the guests on the the compass? What was it like for you to go to Juilliard for college? Because I went as a... Sorry, I don't know what's going on on the other side of my wall right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I went there for grad school. Mm -hmm. Did you... What was it like for you to, like, move to New York City to start college i loved it i i've always wanted to be an actor since i can remember and um i juilliard was always on my radar it was my first choice school um i only applied to schools in new york because i knew i wanted to be here so for me it was really a goal and intentional and i kind of knew if i had any other college experience it just wouldn't be for me i think i actually thought oh i'm gonna either go to juilliard or i'm going to go to some college and spend the entire four years abroad (laughs) (laughs) you know i just i'm not a paper writer i i don't know yeah i needed to do things with my body and my voice and my mind and um it was the perfect school for me that's great that you knew yourself so well at that age well yeah (laughs) <laughs> or at least you or you knew like it's the, all downhill from the there. kind of environment that you needed to be in yeah 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 i knew i knew i had a i had a real feeling that it was the right place for me um and i don't know what i would have done if i didn't get in i really don't I have no idea yeah for yeah. me personally i would have figured out something career-wise but personally yeah. i can't imagine any other experience um, since you graduated from Juilliard, have there kind of been changes in the um, like the communities that there's you... heat in the pipes? I don't know what's going on over there. <laughs> Never heard this noise before. Ghosts. Um, like the communities that you've found yourself within here in the city, like the different arts communities you've fallen into, have have has it kind of surprised you the trajectory you've gone on? Have you found new groups of people that you're like, oh, I never mm. thought that I would be a part of this community. I never knew I was going to be part of so many different groups and that I'd be in some groups for a while and then 
those groups kind of dissipate and then you find a new group and that dissipates i'm kind of a loner i don't want to say loner but i don't have like a a solid circle of friends i have lots of friends in lots of different circles um who aren't necessarily connected to each other who aren't connected to each other like if i threw a dinner party i don't i it would be just a mishmash of people who didn't know each other but maybe have heard about each other a lot but i never really had anything planned for myself like i i didn't know what to expect i um just started working kind of in indie theater because that's where I was accepted and I was so happy to be accepted. I think I've, in a way, have let other people's choices define what I do. You know, like maybe if I was open to, I don't know, like booking a television show and doing that, or I would have been open to being accepted into indie off-Broadway theater and been like, great, that's, that's great too. I was just dying to have an identity of some sort or just be involved somehow in this world i didn't but i didn't have like you know i didn't have my you didn't come out of school with like a mission i didn't like, yeah this is the one thing i, I didn't have do. all my eggs in one basket right which i think is is why i'm still doing it after 10 years and why some people aren't because they have an idea of what it is and then that idea doesn't come to fruition and then they quit and feel bad but i just kind of go where I can. I'm still excited to be accepted into like anything. Yeah. So that's something I think about a lot is like, what is the definition of success? And like, what is my changing definition of success as opposed to what society says? And also what Juilliard what says. Juilliard maybe said it should not, be. not what Juilliard says, but the idea of graduating from Juilliard and you could become an international celebrity right. or you could do you know regional non-equity theater in the hometown that you grew up and it's all fine no it's all fine but there there's certain ones that they definitely highlight more yeah (laughs) in their alumni pool which i think is interesting and i think we're we're all doing really interesting things and that's part of why i like doing this podcast i get to hear about the things that everybody's Mm -hmm. working on even if they're on a smaller scale do you ever get the question um when I say I went to Juilliard, they say, oh, who did you go there with? And my thought is, oh, the famous people? <laughs> like, well, it depends you, on who's asking. If it's somebody that's like true. in the business, then I'm like, oh, they might actually know mm-hmm. any number of my classmates. Yeah, that's true. If it's somebody who is more just a consumer of mm-hmm. art and not really in the arts, then I know that, yeah, they're asking, who, yeah. who, who would I know? Yeah. That you went to school. Yeah. It's a little weird. I guess I bring it up because I, I, for the consumer who asks, I kind of want, I know that they want to know who are the names, you know, that I went to school with, but I kind of want to tell them about (laughs) the non-names who are living like great lives. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, well, well, they're so-and-so and she has a kid now and it's super great for her. It's she wanted to be a mom. It's awesome. Yeah. But I'm like, no, it's so-and-so in this movie (laughs) they're like oh okay 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 okay." see that's what i want to hear about all those other ones Mm -hmm. yeah like what what's going on in your life right now that you're really excited about Mm, well i have a boyfriend who's (laughs) also an actor right he is a director oh a director i'm sorry yeah so we make a quite a team but we also are not 
we have talked about it and we're not together um, based on what the other person does. If he decides to stop directing or if I decide to stop acting, that is not contingent on our no, relationship yeah. at all. I don't, um, I don't know if that would be the healthiest if it were. No, it wouldn't. It <laughs> I'm wouldn't. only interested in you But I guess some I, of your job. People, some people have broken up, though, because they went into the arts together and they wanted to be like an art couple. And then one just starts to feel rejected by the business. And then they... Like and, their ambition is tied up in their relationship so much yeah yeah their ambition or the thing that they had most in common coming into the relationship is now not the thing that they have in common anymore i mean i i've I've totally seen it Hmm. i've seen it somebody who has such passion for the arts and someone who has waning passion and doesn't feel like they want that to be a part of their life anymore yeah um, Have you guys worked together as director and actor? No, no. he no, he just graduated from um, Yale School of Directing, uh, and I just met him a few months ago. Lovely. Yeah. Well, it's fun. It's fun to have a partner in crime, especially in this city, like to have totally. someone to go on adventures with and to totally explore with. And yeah, it's even as much as being a loner can be fun too, but yeah. It's nice to have that person. It is. I I w- never saw myself as a relationship person, and now that I'm with my boyfriend, I think I am totally a relationship person. <laughs> I love this. Awesome. I love just like having that one person to text all day. Yeah. Yeah, or to form your day around. Yeah. Is there anything in the last couple of years? that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about? Like a lesson you've learned? Mm. Well, something that has really defined the end of my 20s was I felt I that I had a lot more to explore and I had totally given myself over to the business. And I was very available here in New York. And then I, when I was 29, I thought, I don't want all this stuff around me. I want to go travel. I want to do things and have experiences. And so actually I was very transient for two years. I went to, um, I started, I went on a trip with my mom in August a couple years ago to um, Italy and Greece and Turkey. And then I stayed in Turkey a little bit longer. And then I did a play in Philadelphia, two plays in Philadelphia for three months And then I dog sat for a month at one place and then another place. And then I went out to LA for a while. Um, And this past summer, you know, I'm skipping over like a year or so. (laughs) And I, and I was in Armenia and Georgia and Poland and Guatemala. No, I went to Guatemala with my dad and I went to um, Armenia with an Armenian friend and uh, Canada And I just loved being really uprooted. And it was really hard because I was carrying everything with me or keeping all my belongings in other places. But I just took on so many experiences by saying, you know what, I'll leave. Uh, I I won't be settled for a couple of years. I'll I'll just do whatever. I'll make moves and make plans and... um, I'm really proud of that two years, and it was really hard. It got really hard, and I'm I'm actually really proud now to be settled in an apartment. Yeah. But I loved that 
29, 30, beginning of 31. It just felt right. And I like looked up my Saturn returns and mine was something like two months because it's like anywhere between two months and nine months. And my Saturn returns was in that time that I first gave up my apartment and all my stuff and started. So, and I'm looking at that retrospectively, which I think is very interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really proud. And it's amazing what you can do when you're not spending all this money on rent. Yeah. (laughs) You can buy plane tickets. Yeah. And I think my my rent, I think of how much it is a month. (laughs) Oh my God. I think in Armenia, for three months, I was there for two or three months. I think I paid a total of $500 for all three months of living in an apartment in downtown Armenia. It was crazy. Beers, $1. Cab rides across the city is $1. I mean, it's unbelievable. What did you do while you were there? Total Explore just sightseer. And just amazing. total sightseer. Yeah. And that's really cool that you got to do a little bit of traveling with your parents individually too they own a they own a travel business actually um they own a tour agency they run tours for active adults that's kind of wonderful that's what i if i'm not acting i need to find some job that would just let me travel the world yeah yeah and luckily i don't i don't and yeah and they don't get everything for free like i'm not no of course not yeah Uh, they, they do it cause they need to like make money to raise four kids. I do it for pleasure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but w- they weren't working on those trips you took with them. That was just for you, for you guys. Well, I, uh, my mom was doing research on, um, a cruise ship that was going to, uh, Italy, Greece, and Turkey. And then I went to Guatemala with my dad because he started studying Spanish 10 years ago. And he would do immersive Spanish programs down in Antigua, Guatemala. And um, then he started doing volunteer work with uh, it's some uh, the World Pediatric Project. Okay. So then he started becoming a bit of a translator for doctors coming down from St. Louis to perform surgeries on kids in Guatemala. That's amazing. And then since I was uprooted at the time, I said, I think this is the year that I'll go with you to Guatemala. And I studied Spanish for four hours a day, every day for three weeks. With um, someone or just on your own? One-on-one, like a oh, one-on-one. Wow. It was super cheap. I think it turned out to be $6 an hour to have a Guatemalan teacher teaching one-on-one Spanish. Um, and that was pretty awesome and terrifying, staring into a Guatemalan woman's eyes for four hours and just getting the story of her life. Spanish Spanish lessons kind of like went by the wayside because I was more into the emotional aspect of like <laughs> who's like, sitting I'm across from me. Time with this person. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Oh. Have you ever thought of doing a one man show, or like writing a one man show? Recently. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually this. Um, I never did. I never did. I've always been more interested in multiple people on stage and yeah. having that collaboration. But recently I have, and I think it's because at the Abingdon, there's this small space and a guy was doing a one man show called the dork night and it's something like 56 seats. And I just saw that space and I thought, I don't know. I just, I started getting an idea in my head about doing a one man show or at least 
fantasizing what that experience would be like. But I I don't know. I also might be just terrified and too lazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just curious. What about you? Have you? I mean, I've thought about it. There's that, uh, oh God, who's it by? It's probably on my bookshelf here. Medea Redu, Redux, Redux. Oh. I don't know how you pronounce it. Oh, oh, oh. You know oh. what I'm talking about? Is that the thing Callista Flockhart yes. did? Yeah, and who wrote it? It's by. Oh, it's by Neil Labune. I remember. It, that's like the Mormon plays. Yes, it's in that same book. Neil Labune. And what, it, the name of it's Medea Redux? Yeah, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it. Right. But I had looked at that for a long time after school because it's like. Since I'm not a big writer, like it's something that's already scripted. Right. But it was interest. It's you know, it's very dramatic, and it's also kind of tied to these, you know, to the Medea story. And mm-hmm. it's a um, very good piece. I remember watching the tape. That I remember watching Calista Flockhart's performance of that. If she was the one that performed that yeah, one, yeah, she did. And that was that. Was, that book was on my high school theater shelf. Oh wow! I remember those in like the Humana Festival. Yes, anthologies <laughs> yeah i still have never well i guess i saw since i went to school at university of evansville which mm-hmm. is kind of right in between st louis and louisville mm-hmm. i never really got to go and have the humana festival experience i think we went once as a school and saw one play yeah but I like, whenever either. i have a friend who goes there to do a show i'm like ah oh, yeah i want to do it just because i have that memory of those anthologies yes yeah Totally. My boyfriend just directed two uh, short plays there. Oh, yeah? With the acting apprentices. Mm-hmm. Um, I know and so he, many people who've gone through that program. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and he said, I mean, he was... The people who run the theater have houses, and they have yeah. backyards, and they go... What I've was it? The, it. <laughs> the, the bourbon factory, or like yeah. the whiskey factory? Well, Frankie did a show there um, like three or four years ago, and I went to visit, and it's... Yeah, it's pretty nice. Yeah, it's always... Louisville's always on that list of... 10 cities to live in that have the best value or something like that. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is like, there's always those daydreams and I do love the city, but there's those daydreams of like, Oh, well, what if I could do my art somewhere else Mm -hmm. and have a cost of living that's not preventative and Mm -hmm. have a house and Mm -hmm. what would that be like? I think I kind of, trust now that when my time in new york is up it'll be a very organic feeling it'll be clear yeah you know i don't i don't have to think about it so much right now because it's not anything that's eating at me but i my intuition's pretty strong and i i think at some point if i really wanted to leave it would be so clear and it wouldn't be afraid i wouldn't be afraid I think. Yeah, it would be an obvious choice. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Gotten to do a lot of Shakespeare's in school. I have. It's really weird because they, they never really pegged me as the Shakespeare person in my <laughs> class. And then my first role was, my first equity role was um, Juliet, Romeo I, and Juliet. We came to see you in that. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of, I played a bunch of female roles in Shakespeare when I first graduated. The player queen in Hamlet. At the Pearl, um, Julia, and Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, in New York at Urban Stages, and then culminated in Juliet at the Shakespeare Theater. Yeah. And I don't, I actually don't really think that we need to be doing all male Shakespeare's, but I was very happy to get the roles. (laughs) 
because I'm happy to watch you in an all male Shakespeare, yeah. but as an it's actress, complicated. I'm like, why do we? There's only two roles in the play for women anyway. Why do we I need to know. do this? I know it's very complicated. What are your feelings on it? I think that people can make art any way they want to, and they can cast it any way they want to. I don't have. I mean, I know it's different with Shakespeare because people are people say, "Oh, but this is the way they did it," you know, back. But I, I don't know. I hate to speak for dead men, but I feel like Shakespeare would say, "Oh no, we really don't need to be doing all male Shakespeare right. I just anymore." Wasn't allowed at the time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think ultimately, I don't have a judgment on it. I think, I mean, when we were doing Romeo and Juliet, it ignited another theater company in Washington, D.C. to do an all-female Julia, and we ended up basically sharing all of the reviews with that company because it became a talking piece for the city. But no, I don't think it's the right way to do it, and I don't think it needs to be done that way all the time. But sure, an exploration once in a while, why not do it? (laughs) You know. Are there any um, Shakespeare roles that you're like dying to play next not really i really love playing king richard ii the it's all verse it's very regular i loved his journey Mm -hmm. his journey coincided with you know my uprooting these ideas of who you think you are and then by the end of the play he's very stripped down to the human form and ready to lead his country because he understands what it is to be human but he dies, <laughs> so he doesn't <laughs> get that opportunity. <laughs> Spoiler alert. And Juliet was awesome. And I, uh, no, there's nothing really that I have my eye on. I, I've, I'm really bad at that question of, like, what roles do you want to work on? Because I've just been so happy with w- what has surprised me and transpired. And I never thought I would, I never had my eye on Mammoth, but playing Bobby and American Buffalo was such a surprise and um, hard and fun, and I now cherish that experience. I would love to work on Tennessee Williams. Me too. I'd love to work on Chekhov, which I've never done. That's what I'm doing right now. Oh, awesome. What are you doing? Um, It's a version of Uncle Vanya called Drunkle Vanya. Drunkle Vanya with Drunk Shakespeare. Uh, or no. My friend's company, Three Day Hangover, but they, oh, they cool. helped c- to create Drug Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But it's a little, it's more of the play. <laughs> Something. Oh, and Eugene O'Neill, too. I want to work yeah, on his those stuff. Are all, those are all good. But uh, did you see The Present on Broadway? No, I haven't. You I've have heard to go. Such mixed things about I loved it. Really? I loved it. I heard that party scene isn't the part that's really amazing well the party scene's great if you like want all that stimulus but i just but love it's it's kate blanchett <laughs> it's an adaptation of platonov yeah and it's three hours of really great acting and um it's it's awesome you have to go see it it's right. great acting and i don't know why they gave it such bad reviews did it get bad reviews yeah. oh they don't you know they didn't get it right that time <laughs> in my opinion people richard rock's Berg? Roxborough? Roxburgh? That's the main actor in it? Yeah, he played the uh, Touched Like a Virgin for the very first time in Moulin Rouge. <laughs> he plays the Platonov character, if that's his name in the in the play. Uh-huh. Him and Kate Blanchett are so 
good. It's unbelievable. All right, I gotta see it then. Three hours, and I saw a Wednesday matinee, and I, I'm an actor, and I thought, I don't know how you guys can do this again tonight. Oof. It's crazy. You know, Kate Blanchett is just so she's so statuesque, and she's just so graceful, and her thoughts are just constantly moving and connected to her body. I mean, she's really brilliant. She, she really is. Yes. In my play, I've, I've no one's going to argue with that. It's been very maybe it hasn't been appropriate, but in the play I'm in, I started channeling Kate Blanchett. <laughs> <laughs> like my role of like a modern day guy in like Florida is now like infused with Kate How, Blanchett. What elements have you been? <laughs> Channeling. Well, I, 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 I've actually seriously have been channeling just the flow that she has and gotcha. the, the flow of moment to moment. And, um, she's just, you can always see that she's thinking on stage or maybe she's not, but it appears that way. And, um, she's dynamic, you know, she gives yeah. a big performance, which I appreciate. I think I was trying to do like something kind of small I don't know why, maybe because it's a small theater or maybe that's very popular right now to do very small, minimalist acting. But she, I just had so much joy watching her be big. And I like being big, but kind of had pushed that away and was trying to explore something else. And now I've just been like going for it. All right. I'll have to, I'll have to try. And it's also really cool because it's the Sydney theater company and, um, they they they're doing a you know adaptation of Chekhov, but they're doing it in Australian accents and their own voices. Oh, nice! And it's a bunch of theater actors. It's and like thirteen of them. Are they a true company? I I don't know, but uh, I just listened to an interview with them on NPR, and they are constant regulars at the right. Shakespeare Theater Company. That's and so amazing. A lot of the roles were adapted for specific actors in that theater company. Right. Um, that would be, I know it barely exists anymore, but that would be the dream is to be part of a company. It really would. It really would. Must <laughs> <laughs> be, be in a company. To have a company uh, that you can go back to once or twice a year, you know, maybe once every other year would be fine, you know, but to have that home. Well, and those relationships, I mean, you know, that was like the greatest thing at Juilliard is like you're part of a company for four years. And so really... Mm-hmm. Like any chance you have to act with one of those actors, there's so much. Yeah, and you get to have different times being already there. Yeah, leads with certain actors, and the next play you get to be a lead with the next person, and then you get to sit back and watch two other people lead against each other, and yeah, it is really cool. You do. I think the I'm not. I don't. I have mixed feelings about actor training right now. Yeah, but um, I think that schools have uh um they have an obligation to give the students as many performing opportunities as possible they just need to perform in as many plays as they can different playwrights and it's so crazy some of these schools where you don't even get to perform the first year or you audition for a plays in your second and third year no like give them opportunities as much exposure as possible. I will say, as much as I... To perform. <laughs> I, cher- I cherish that ensemble thing. But I will say that I don't think I was ready when I graduated to, like, extract myself from my group or from mm-hmm. my ensemble. And, like, I, as much as they might have tried to prepare us for the business aspects, I, like, I wasn't ready to be... Did they at all? <laughs> and, and a 
as much as they tried, like I said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I wasn't ready for that having to be that single-minded and mm-hmm. self-focused and feeling like other people were, like that I was under the magnifying glass all by myself because I was so used to like, in a beautiful way, like coming off of the Greeks, like mm-hmm. working as a group and... Yeah, collaboration. I just, I, it took me a while to make that transition. And I probably didn't use all the opportunities coming off of graduation as well as I could have. I feel like maybe we should have been able to um, audition more in our fourth year, either in like a mock audition way or uh, just the experience of getting on a subway, going to a casting director at a specific time and, and giving an audition, because that is really what screwed me up was I just did not have that muscle at all when I was graduating I I still, I mean, I try my best at auditioning. I just go in there and try to do the best I can under the circumstances. But it's such a specific process that is faulty, you know, like because you will never be standing in a void room acting with somebody sitting in a chair. You will work with another scene partner and you work on chemistry a moment to moment and listening and delivering of lines but it's like the director the casting director just sits there and they they watch you but in a rehearsal process their eyes are darting between actors you know and um I feel very naked and I feel very like it's not the best way most of my jobs have been through recommendations or offers and not through auditions I don't function the best in that way yeah and I I wish I did and I try to get better at it but it's um and nobody really likes it I don't know directors that like it yeah (laughs) and it's like it's like when you're when you're working on a project you're like oh I know how to do the thing Mm -hmm. just knowing how to get to do the thing it's like the SATs or something (laughs) you know how to take that test yeah totally yeah um, so when you are in a place where you're going to the dark side, are there, mm-hmm. besides Parks and Rec, mm-hmm. <laughs> are there any uh, things that you reach for again and again, like a book or a place you go or music or something like that? Mm, I would say I, I, I don't have a formula. I don't have a recipe to get me out of the dark. But what I'm thinking right now is to... Like a tool. I would say the outdoors, outside... One of my happiest years was actually being a dog walker. I was outside every single day. And I think in New York, we just scurry inside one building to the next building. And I, I would recommend to anyone listening, <laughs> and I and I try to do this for myself, but I, I get bad at it, is just to get up and walk yeah. outside and feel like the sunshine. Go to a coffee shop, you know? Like, I might have all this coffee at my house, but to get up and walk to a coffee shop and actually be there with other people um i'm i'm all about reading self-help books <laughs> or books on spirituality yeah do you have um, any favorites uh there's one that i read a long time ago it was uh oh my god it's isherwood but not charles isherwood it's the why am i blanking on his name who wrote oh, um googling cabaret was based off of i am a camera yeah isherwood he has a he has a book called me and my guru which was his experience with a his buddhist guru i thought that was fascinating reading about other people's like this podcast hearing and reading about christopher isherwood christopher isherwood 
Thank you, Google. Thank you. Anybody else's experience with climbing out of the dark yeah. is always helpful. Who is it? Marianne Williamson is an interesting read. And then, I mean, you just <clears throat> talked about the present, but is there anything else that you've seen lately that you want to recommend? Well, it's movie season. You know, it's like a really great season for movies. I just saw Moonlight. Amazing. Which, I'm not just saying that because it's the popular thing to say, but it was so touching, um, you know, to watch these underrepresented stories. And I, on film in a poetic form, and it's so much of about it is about uh, like feelings between people and not and the dialogue is so sparse and it's just you're watching people being and having a tough time um like reaching across the aisle to uh to have a common i, I don't know what i'm trying to say it's ephemeral <laughs> whatever <laughs> happens in that film is ephemeral it's it's a really sometimes i don't know if a story needs to be a film and that one i feel like is a really good example of how because of the silence and yeah. The unspoken things a really good use of film. And I guess spoiler alert again, what I'm I'm stuck on this scene, you know, you watch this kid grow up in three different ages played by three different actors. And then in the last chapter is like the adult male. He's grown up, he's like put on weight. He used to be a like a little skinny kid. Now he has like all this muscle and he hasn't touched anybody since that boy on the beach back when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And you just think like oh my gosh they're gonna have sex oh my gosh they're gonna have sex because that's what movies do and that's what's gonna happen right and then the last scene is just one man touching another man his head's on his shoulder they're completely clothed and i just like broke down because sometimes all we need is like human touch and not in a sexual way yeah and that's what that's what I really liked about that. And then there was Jackie. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> what were the other ones? You mean the ones that are not? Oh, there? Fences. Fences was good. Um, I had never heard that story before, so that was really awesome to see. August Wilson's kind of like collecting pieces. You're like, which ones have you seen? Which decades? Yeah. Which decades have you seen? He's such an incredible writer. Yeah so verbal oh my gosh watching moonlight with like n- no language and then watching fences is just yeah <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for doing this with me my pleasure i love what you do with this episodes are coming soon please look for us on facebook in itunes i'd like to thank the following people for their generosity the compass cover art is by kim miller music by brendan spieth audio assistance from nick choksi and a special thanks to frankie j alvarez see you next time
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.